Hello and welcome to the At Any Rate podcast uh, by JP Morgan. Uh, I'm Meera Chandan, co-head of the FX Strategy Group uh, here in London. And I'm joined today by Aditya Chordia, who's our senior European rate strategist, as well as Greg Fuzesi, uh, head of the European economics uh, research here in London as well. Uh, the focus today will be on, uh, on the euro area and specifically uh, the impact uh, that our baseline scenarios are likely to have uh, from a further escalation around the gas supply is- issue with Russia. Uh, so let's start uh, with the economics team, uh, Greg. Uh, keeping you know, the uncertainty from the gas issue aside, uh, do you think that our baseline for the euro area is tracking? Uh, and secondly, what you know? How, how does how does really the um, uh, the recent um, escalation in gas prices affect uh, affect your baseline outlook? And how do you go about handicapping those risks as well? Yeah, I mean, in terms of the baseline, I mean, let, let me just very briefly say what that is, which is that um, we are still emphasizing that there are positives in the system. Um, there is still a pandemic related bounce to come as the residual uh, COVID restrictions uh, ease. Um, That happened mainly in the second quarter, but that means that that should lift both the second and third quarters in terms of contact intensive uh, services, spending and tourism. Um, We're also emphasizing that the private sector got through the COVID recession in surprisingly good shape. Uh, The most striking part there is of course the, the huge excess savings that the household sector built up. And we're emphasizing the solidity of the labor market, unemployment at a record low, uh, widespread concerns about or you know, complaints by companies about labor shortages, which uh, should provide resilience uh, by reducing the uh, willingness of companies to lay people off. Um, so those three components um, do still point to uh, an improvement in economic activity, which of course is being dampened by the drags that are in, in focus at the moment, but we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that there are these positives um, still working their way through the system. So, um, you know, the forecast basically has growth at around 2%. Now, whether it will be two or whether we will be drifting around at kind of a one and a half percent pace or so, or even a little bit lower, I would still point that the forecast is tracking in the sense that we're not getting an economic collapse uh, you know, given the size of the shocks hitting the system, the, the shocks are being dampened by these positives that are there. Um, the big risk in the near term is, of course, um, the, the gas price uh, or the gas supply issue, um, which, uh, you know, Nord Stream 1 is going into maintenance that could get turned off or not turned back on um, after that two-week uh, period ends. Um, and that's, that's the big risk. Um, now, here... This is very difficult to 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 quantify. Um, you know, estimates point to GDP declines of possibly five, six, seven percent. Um, these estimates typically don't assume a policy response on the fiscal or monetary side. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the the downside potentially could be very large with very big spikes in energy prices and gas rationing. Thanks, Greg. And how would you think about the ECB reaction function? in both of those scenarios, in our baseline, as well as the risk scenario in which uh, the gas supply uh, gets curtailed substantially? Okay, so very briefly, um, on in the baseline scenario where we have kind of steady growth going forward, 
Um, I would still say that the ECB has to normalize, but um, it's not yet a given that the ECB has to go into restrictive territory. And this is really ultimately a view about um, you know, where you think inflation pressures will settle over the medium term. Now, we still have it settling around 2%, which uh, argues for normalization, but not yet uh, for restriction. So that, that's the baseline uh, scenario. Um, in the, in the downside scenario, things get very messy uh, because you would both have a big decline in GDP, uh, but also a, a further spike in inflation. Um, and that makes it very difficult for any central bank. Now, I, I would think that the ECB will still follow through on the first, uh, on the initial hikes, um, but then later on become much more growth sensitive. And, and where that uh, tilted point is depends obviously very much on how this whole uh, scenario actually plays out. And it's even possible that if gas doesn't get turned on in um, at the end of July, that already the September meeting could be more difficult. Um, but I would expect the ECB to, to still err on the side of, of hiking, um, you know, perhaps until they get into modestly positive territory. And, and then become much more reactive to the, to the growth side after that. Okay, thanks, Craig. Um, let's turn to interest rate markets now, Aditya. I think questions along similar lines for you. Uh, what is the baseline um, on duration and ECB pricing? Uh, and of course, what is, you know, what is the risk around that, uh, you know, given, the, given the gas supply issue? Uh, and obviously the periphery is going to be in focus as well, given the fragmentation risks uh, that the ECB has to deal with in addition to everything else. So how are you approaching uh, markets? Sure. Thanks, Mira. We have been highlighting for a while that the narrative in euro area would transition from accelerating inflation, resilient growth, and behind the curve ECB in the first half of this year to elevated inflation, but easing growth momentum, warranting a relatively gradual or slower ECB tightening cycle, something what Greg mentioned recently just now. The recent developments suggest that the change of narrative has already taken place in the market, but even we are surprised by the narrative switch so quickly and furiously. As Greg highlighted, the first few hikes from the ECB, in our view, are less data dependent and very high chances that they will be delivered and the chances of them not being delivered is very low. But beyond that, we expect the tightening cycle to be more data dependent. Hence, it would likely be lower at best gradual then what, what market was pricing by mid-June, where market is expecting them to go similar to what the Fed would be doing, going every meeting and going well into restrictive territory. So the recent repricing from, of the ECB tightening expectations on increasing growth concerns goes in line with our 2H22 outlook thinking and adds super high conviction to our 1% year and 10-year German yield forecast. We are around 125 now. Just to give a sense, we were around 190 in mid-June when we reached the peak. So clearly the repricing is going in line with expectations and doesn't look excessive. Here, I'd like to stress that our base case still assumes that euro area growth decelerates, but avoid recession. And hence the ECB is able to deliver a gradual tightening cycle at least until early, late 2022 or early 2023. The recent repricing I think has removed the excessive optimism price in the market for the ECB where the market was extrapolating, as I discussed, a Fed type tightening cycle into restrictive. But at the same time, I do not believe that the market is pricing any material probability of a recession risk on gas supply crunches. Under the euro era recession scenario on the back of gas supply crunch, I believe the 10-year German yields will easily fall below 50 basis point level by end of 2022. So a 60, 70 basis point rally easily from current levels. 
And that, as the market will take out the whole tightening cycle, price beyond September or October meetings, and also price increasing flight to quality premium. On the topic of fragmentation risk, the ECB announced that after the ad hoc meeting in the mid-June, which they were forced to react to after the market pressures into the periphery market, that they are going to accelerate the work on anti-fragmentation tool, but also they will implement the PEP reinvestment flexibly going forward. And since then, they have started the implementation. The peripheral markets have stabilized since then, but the commentary post the ad hoc meeting in mid-June has been very clear. There is a clear uh, sense of wide-ranging views across the board from the hawks, which are still uncomfortable delivering a very credible anti-fragmentation tool, especially at these levels. So we remain quite convinced that yes, ECB will eventually deliver a credible anti-fragmentation tool, but I think the journey towards that won't be a straightforward, proactive ECB, but most likely an ECB which needs to be pressured by the market. So I think we believe that we have a bumpy road ahead on the periphery spreads on a journey to anti-fragmentation tool. Okay, and, and Aditya, what do you think that rates uh, markets investors need to see from the ECB on fragmentation in July to be satisfied? And uh, alongside that, what are the main trading themes that you're recommending right now? I think it's a bit of a chicken and egg issue uh, on the delivery of anti-fragmentation tool. As if the peripheral spreads remain around these levels, which are significantly lower than what we saw around mid-June when the ECB did the emergency meeting, I don't think the decent part of the ECB board will feel compelled to deliver the anti-fragmentation tool now because their view would be that the PEP reinvestment is working. Why do we need it now? And in that case, at the July meeting, you might just get some verbal uh, messaging saying we are we stand ready to react and the tool can be implemented at a very short notice. And that in itself might lead to a sharp market retracement because market will try to test them to push them to deliver. So I still believe that it's not the July meeting, it's how the market reacts, which will lead to a delivery of the anti-fragmentation tool. In terms of trades, so giving, going back on this theme, I, I re-entered my shorts in Italy versus Germany because I believe the ECB needs that pressure to deliver the tool. And hence, I think the trade has a better risk reward. The other key theme is I'm in pushing is like long euro rates versus US on the different monetary policy reaction functions from the ECB and Fed, given the different energy, inflation, and growth challenges the central banks face. So now turning to the FX markets, Mira, how do recent developments change narrative on Europe and fragmentation as well? How does it impact your thinking on Europe? Sure, thanks, Aditya. So I think the first observation from the FX side, looking at Euro dollar, is that the weakening that we've seen in the Euro in the past week or so has been more about the 60% drop in the piped gas supply to Europe uh, and the doubling in gas prices, uh, rather than the periphery where spreads have been relatively contained. So this is not about periphery stress, it's about, it's about what's going on in gas supply. Uh, as uh, Greg has already laid out, uh, the growth impact is pretty um, can be pretty large. You know, we could consider four, five, six percent of uh, of the GDP growth. Uh, and as a normal rule of thumb um, in FX, we tend to uh, point to the historical relationship uh, where every percentage point in growth forecast is worth around three cents on euro dollar. So one can imagine that you know mechanically, if the impact is something like four percentage of GDP that amounts to around 12% or so weakening in the currency. Now, obviously this is not our baseline and some probability of uh, the stress outcome is already priced in. Uh, Euro dollar seems to be undershooting uh, by around three cents or so on our growth model. 
so in a nutshell, we think that 20 to 25% chance of a complete shutdown uh, on gas supplies is priced into the currency. Uh, but we do think that given the uncertainty around this issue, uh, the market will be willing to price in uh, a greater odds of the stress scenario in the coming weeks. And mostly also as investors uh, reduce uh, risk uh, to potentially hedge the stress scenario. So uh, we have uh, marked down our euro dollar forecast uh, from parity uh, to 95. Uh, and uh, that's indicating perhaps 50% odds of a stress scenario uh, to be priced in. Of course, uh, you know, uh, Europe has been building storage as an offset, but we don't really think that that's really going to be enough uh, to offset, uh, you know, the growth impact of uh, any sort of shutdown in gas supply. So uh, for us on the FX side, uh, remain bearish euro. We have been recommending shorts in euro since, uh, since February, uh, continue to maintain that. And now that our parity target has nearly been reached, further marking down uh, our euro-dollar forecast to 95. Uh, any stress on the fragmentation issue and on the periphery, as you pointed out, Aditya, will also result in further weakening pressure. And there, as every as a rule of thumb, every 20 basis points widening in the BTP spread versus bonds is worth around 1.5% of euro-dollar. So it's almost, uh, I'd say, going into the next few weeks, almost looks like a perfect storm of pretty substantial event risk for the euro. And what are the main themes outside Euro in the FX space? Uh, sure, you know our, our predominant um, theme has to be has been to remain defensive. Uh, the basic uh, the basic story being uh, that growth, uh, particularly out of the U.S., continues to remain vulnerable. In China, we're seeing a reacceleration in COVID cases, uh, and in Europe, of course, we have the gas uh, vulnerability. We have the um, we have the fragmentation story as well alongside a weak cyclical, you know, data has been missing expectations on average. So I would say the combination of all of those things uh, has kept us pretty defensive and long the dollar overall versus high beta currencies. That's a stance we continue to stick to. We have been recommendation, recommending uh, bearish the euro block via euro and sterling, predominantly on stagflationary concerns. And that continues to be an ongoing theme. We've recommended this last week upsizing our shorts uh, on euro dollar. And then um, uh, finally, uh, I would say that uh, we are looking for hedges, uh, either late cycle or growth hedges. To us, the Japanese yen is one such example. Long uh, the Japanese yen on crosses like uh, New Zealand uh, is an attractive uh, late cycle hedge over the next six to nine months as uh, we uh, grapple with uh, increased odds of recession. And then finally, within the euro block, I should stress that Swiss longs is a core theme for us. Uh, the S&B is pivoting, but it's not just about the S&B and the domestic Swiss story. Uh, it's also about the regional uh, weakness as well, which tends to be generally Swiss supportive. So um, overall defensive, long the US dollar, long yen, long Swiss, short the euro block in general and short high beta currencies is the theme in FX. Thank you everybody for joining. We will stop there. It sounds like uh, pretty much uh, uh, you know the view across uh, across the markets is defensive uh, and on the economic side uh, you know even though the baseline is tracking right now there is a huge amount of uncertainty uh, given how the gas supply situation uh, eventually resolves. Please take a look at JP Morgan Markets for any written research if you need more details uh, to what we've discussed on this podcast. This communication is provided for information purposes only. 
uh, please refer to JP Morgan Research reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2022 JP Morgan Chase and Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on July 12, 2022.